Welcome to the podcast. I am Joe Posnanski, and with me, Brandon McCarthy. Brandon, welcome. Hi, Joe. How are you? I'm doing okay. I'm doing okay. How are you? Are you doing okay? Yeah. Well, there's no there's no answer better than okay right now. It's no, just everybody. Okay. The best you can be doing right now is okay. That's it. Okay is the is the is the high end. I think definitely okay is like that's like if you in normal terms saying oh, I'm doing great. That's definitely okay is the highest you can go. Uh, and with us, this is so exciting, with us, relief pitcher extraordinaire, Peter Moylan. Peter, welcome. Thank you. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Thanks so much for coming on. Oh, it's an absolute pleasure. And I've been so busy lately that I've, I've just, <laughs> I'm glad that I was able to squeeze you guys in. That's, that's, that's the only reason we're getting anybody to do this, to agree to do this, is the fact that uh, there's literally nothing else going on. All right, Peter, before we get started uh, with, the, with the, the questions and the talk, and we'll have a draft in a little bit, um, I, I got a little stat for you. This is really kind of fun. This is because I, I would imagine neither of you know this to be true. Um, Brandon, do you have any idea how many times Peter came in to relieve you in a game? Oh, I don't um, take a guess. I'd say four or five, maybe, but I don't even know if that that high. Four? No, very good. Six. The answer really? is six. Here's 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 how what it happened. Six times, and now I'm counting directly replacing you because he did come into a couple of games later, uh, the games that you started. But I'm talking about Just coming get to in. it, Joe. How many times did I save his ass? Let's go. <laughs> Every single time. You did not give up a run in any of the six appearances. There you go. That's how, fantastic. What a way to start. This is about, great. This <laughs> I think that's that's this is why I, I think I like Pete. Like I didn't even know that it had happened, but I guess like the overarching feeling of him not blowing things for me is why we <laughs> just, remain friends. He just comes in and just pitches solid inning and gets uh, and gets things going. So that might have been that might have been the six solid innings I had in 2018, actually. <laughs> You you did have one uh, rather uh, unfortunate uh, appearance, and when you replaced him late in a game, when he 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 pitched, and then several other relievers came in. I think the game was out of hand, but you gave up a home run to Freddie Galvis. You probably don't remember that. Uh, um, <laughs> Freddie Galvis, just the 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 you the guy usually put next to the home run hitter. That's uh, that's fantastic for me. Um, so, All right, Peter. I, I remember a lot of all. I'll be honest with you. I remember a lot of 2018 because it was not it was not my uh, my finest hour. Um, it was just missiles after missiles after missiles, and not just all over the field, but a lot of them were directed back at me. So yeah. it, it, if, if it wasn't the world telling me it was time to end it, I, I don't know what was. <laughs> that probably has to be a weird feeling. I and and this would be true for you as well, Brandon. Where you know. I don't think that any of us fully appreciate what it is to get even a little bit older. And then you're throwing pitches that have gotten people out for years and years. And suddenly they're not getting people out. That, that has to be like a very befuddling feeling. Yeah. It's not a fun. I mean, that's the game kind of tells you as you're getting older, like, Hey, it's time for you to get out or think about other things. Like hopefully you love your family. This is, you're not long for this. And I, you can just feel like, I, I distinctly remember the moment I knew that I was done. I'm facing Scott Kingery first start of the year in 2018. And it's late. Like he's a good hitter. I actually loved his approach. I thought he was, and I still think he's going to be a very, very good player. 
Sure. And it's late in the game. Like I'm doing okay um, in the start, but not. I, I don't really have anything going for me. And he came up, and I was like, I, I had the conscious thought of I have nothing for him right now. <laughs> um, I'd come back from the Yips the year before, so I didn't have a four-seam fastball anymore. And it was like that's what I needed right there. So I knew I was kind of like cut off with the knees. And I was like, I, I've got nothing. And I, on the mound, had the thought of like, this is probably it for me this year. Like, let's see how many more starts I can get because I don't know what to do here. And I was like, well, that's probably not what I should be feeling right now. <laughs> yeah. It was very similar for me too because I'd just come off, you know, a couple of reasonably good years with, with Kansas City. For, sure. With my standard, I guess you'd say. And then I, I signed with Atlanta. I'm, it's, you know, it's a huge homecoming. I'm, I'm going to just continue to roll like I have done the last two years. And, and I had a very similar feeling to Brandon. Was that, and it was against Kingery. He hit a missile right over my head. And it might have been opening night. Um, but anyway, I just remember just – pitchers not doing what they were supposed to do or hitters not reacting to the pitches that I've thrown for the last two years and then they're not doing the exact same thing. So I was, I was getting a lot more line drives hit off me and and I remember having conversations with you, Brandon, just saying, ah, this is it. we're done. That's his, we, uh, and then we'd see videos on Pitching Ninja about some dude throwing 107 and we're like, <laughs> this is our time. Thank you for everything, ball boys. I'm out of here. Well, I, I can remember coming to see both of you uh, some point during that year, I think I actually, of all things, came up to write a story on the freeze. Remember the freeze, the guy that erased everybody. Yeah, uh, yeah. yeah I love that guy. So I came up, I th- came down to Atlanta to do a story on the freeze. And I came to see Brandon and didn't know you as well, Peter, but knew right. you a little bit. And I remember very vividly, because that was probably June of that year, maybe. And I remember very vividly, both of you like, Oh yeah, this is, we're done. This is, I I cannot, this season ends. I am so out of here. I mean, this is just, and, and I mean, that has got to be like, I just think that's gotta be not just a, a, you know, I mean, I'm sure it's bittersweet and all that and you, you, all, all the things that go with it, but that really does have to be a strange feeling after being, you know, both of you hitting a, you know, both of you were very good players. uh, And then suddenly, having that feeling on the mound, like I, whatever I had, I don't have it anymore. Part of the, part of the biggest thing for me. And when I was having my most success was the level of confidence that I had running out from the bullpen. It was almost to the point where if the phone rang and I didn't go in, if it was my situation, I thought it was my situation, I would be angry and I'd be pissed off and and I'd be frustrated. And then Towards the end, it, it was like every time the phone rang, I'd just try and try and hide. Not that you can hide. There's only seven names to choose from. And whether you're there or not, he's going to find you. So it was just kind of avoid eye contact with the with the bullpen coach at all times, just hoping that it wasn't you. And then by the end of it, it was, it was never going to be me because I was that bad. So I didn't have to avoid anything. It's just, it's, it's incredible. It's just incredible. You lose the feeling of being able to do it consistently. I don't know if it was it for Pete. There were days where I could go in and it was like, oh, here it is. And I've got everything I need. And then I feel like I can get anybody out. And I feel like even now I could go pitch in games and get out. It's the idea of like, I would have to stop and then do it five days later and do it five days later. And that's where I know everything would kind of spin that, that feeling of, oh, this isn't here very consistently. This is, it's becoming much more fleeting. And then you lose that backstop of confidence of I can do this all the time. And then it's like, well, hope, hope to God today's a day that I've got good stuff because otherwise I'm going to be out of here quick. Right. But that is really, that is, that is interesting too. I mean, I, I think we think about it somewhat with golfers because golfers, you know, even older golfers, Tiger, obviously will have that, that week where they're back. And, you know, I mean, Tom Watson had it when he was 60 years old where for one week, it's like, 
it it works and 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 I'm at my best and and I you know all the tools that I had I mean maybe I don't hit it as far or whatever but all the tools that I had are 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 still there and then of course the next week completely you know useless on that level and I I do that is interesting to me I mean both of you probably feel like if you had your very very best stuff you could go out there right now and still get outs yeah 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 that's but there's also a, a big difference between a reliever and a starter too. As a reliever, you don't have time to worry about it. It's just the next day you're up again. As a starter, you've got five days to sort of work things out and figure it out and try and avoid doing what you did if you had a bad outing the one before. Whereas, as I just said, the, the reliever mentality is, oh, oh, well, I'll try again tomorrow. <laughs> see what happens. <laughs> well, how good were you at that, Peter? How good were you at not, you know, not necessarily in a performance standpoint, but in a mental standpoint, pitching the next day after a bad outing and, and having it out of your head? If it was one, it was one in a row, it, it, it wasn't usually that bad. But if it, if it sort of manifested into a couple in a row where you've given up runs a couple of times in a row, and it also depends on where you're at in your career. Early on, I would have been looking over my shoulder waiting for, for someone to tap me and tell me I'm going back down to the minor leagues. But towards the end, it was like you just had to figure a way to figure it out and with video and – Brandon, you and I would go out to the bullpen and, and and you know try and throw different pitches with different grips and different release points, and it was a constant just adjustments day to day, um, late. Whereas early on, it would just become natural. You just go out there and do it. You didn't have to think or or you know work your way through a lot of a lot of situations. It just becomes an impossible uphill task. You just feel like you're always chasing, chasing, chasing. And the, the hardest thing is, I think, if you get older, that's where I where I really struggled. Is that when you're young, you're stupid. And so even when you think you, you search and you go like, there is no consequences you don't realize. Like, I mean, you're, you might be scared of failure, but everything is a little bit easier. There's, there's less rough edges on everything. When you're young, as you get older, you realize, okay, this is what happens if it goes bad. This is, uh, this is how I'm going to feel. I want to avoid that feeling. I know what's coming. I've got it. Your mind just, it swirls more easily. I think it develops more anxiety as you get older. And so it like, the world is much more painted in. And so it, the failure becomes scarier. The chasing becomes harder. It's just a much harder road to hoe, I guess. Yeah. I mean, that makes, that makes perfect sense. I mean, it's especially when you're the thing that, that always strikes me about really young players that, that come in is, you know, especially if they've just dominated in the minor leagues, I mean, they come in, they're indestructible, yeah. absolutely indestructible. And, and if they go into a little bit of a slump, whether as a pitcher or a hitter or whatever the case may be, their minds tell them like, this is just a, this is nothing. I'm totally going to get out of this. I'm, I'm great. I mean, there's, it's, there's just this, this, this total feeling. I mean, I'm sure it comes with other things and experience and nerves and all that, but, but the, that, that uh, to, to use a golf reference again, Jack Nicholas always said that the problem with old golfers is putting that it's, it's once you've seen a lot of balls not go in, like that gets into your head. And, and I do think that when you're young and you're and you're you know you've just been great your whole life um you know you feel like you can do anything yeah 100 percent. all right peter this is this is this is what we really have you on to to discuss this is really the most important thing okay who is the greatest australian major league baseball player Mm. (sighs) uh am i allowed to have obviously there's a there's a easy hitting answer and that's Nielsen. Right. Yeah. Um, pitching's a little different I, and I haven't really dived into everybody's stats, but I would have to say that probably Grant Balfour had the, the best 
numbers maybe. Okay. Um, Lloydie had a great run with the Yankees there for a while. Sure. And he was one of the first ones to do it. Um, but I think that Liam Hendricks is probably going to end up being the best pitcher to come out of Australia. Interesting. If Interesting. he continues to, to throw fuzzballs at 100 on the corner, then, yeah, I think that's he'll, he'll, he'll do that for a long time. <laughs> that does that does tend to be effective if, yeah. if yes. you can do that. But, but you know, I look, I think I was just looking over the numbers. Dave Nilsson, by the way, is like – Nobody's close. Nobody's close. Exactly. Nobody's close. I don't know why there haven't been more effective hitters. I can tell you my theory. Okay, I want to hear it. Okay. I think it's we don't get exposed to the level of baseball that you guys get exposed to at an early age. So we don't start playing – well, at least as me as a junior. I didn't start playing baseball until I was 12 years old. Okay. Um, so I was still playing t-ball from the age of six. Um. But so I, we don't develop the hand-eye coordination and the ability to hit pitching early on enough in our life. Whereas our, our pitchers, we also don't have the amount of baseball games that you guys do over here. So our arms are relatively young at the age uh-huh. of 18 compared to a lot of the American guys. So that's why I think there's a big difference between the amount of pitchers and the amount of hitters that have made the big leagues. That's interesting. That's mm. really interesting. I, I It feels to me um, – well, I, I – I, I know there have been a couple of guys who offensively, you know, looked like they might have a chance uh, to make it out of Australia. And yeah. and he's the one that, that made it. But but there have been, as as you pointed out, a handful of successful pitchers. Is there anything that you that you do in Australia, any other sports that that sort of correspond? Like like obviously people from Australia have come over here and been good at at kicking you know in in the nfl and and in college football because there's a it feels like there's a direct line to australian rules sure. football uh is there anything like that for baseball or or is is baseball just so different from everything else i think honestly it could just be the fact that we are thrown into so many different sports from a young age and again anybody who asks me any advice that i have for young people i just say try and play as many different kinds of sports as you can to get your hand-eye and your general coordination going, and then you can use your skill level or train yourself to become more effective with skills after you've decided what you want to do. Um, but you know, we we don't we also don't get the choice of the best athletes in Australia because it's not a popular sport. Baseball is not a popular sport in Australia, so a lot of right. the, the the premium athletes will go play Australian rules football, or they'll go play rugby, or they'll go play soccer, or they'll play basketball, even or netball, or whatever it happens to be. So. You know, we as baseballers in Australia have, have always had an uphill battle, but I feel like um, with the success of someone like a Lloydie, Nielsen, myself, Hendricks, Balfour, Luke Hughes, you know, the more exposure we get, the more popular it becomes. How did how did it happen for you? Oh, how long you got? You said you want to keep it within an hour, right? <laughs> um, well, it didn't happen easily. Uh, I signed as a 17-year-old. I'll give you the short version. Signed as a 17-year-old out of Australia with the Minnesota Twins. 1996 was my first year. How did they see uh, you? We had scouts. The, um, every, uh, no, I'm not sure every team. There was a couple that still weren't back then, but but even back in 1996, there was still at least half the teams were represented by not so much scouts, but they'd have liaisons, I guess, um, okay. that they would use or references that they'd use over here. Um, and we have a national championship every year for under-14s, under-16s, and under-18s. We all... Um, 
we every state will send a team for every age level and they'll compete for two weeks in a tournament and usually scouts will come out and try and see you from there uh, and i was i was seen by a scout by the name of howard norsetter signed with the twins and uh, spent two years in rookie ball and then got released after my third spring training after an incident on fort myers beach that you would rather not go into. Uh, that's at me. I mean, I got arrested <laughs> as a. I was on. I was down at a, at a spring break party in, on Fort Myers Beach, and I was I was arrested. And there was a there was a bunch of other things that happened prior to that that led to me being released. But it was that was the uh, that was the clincher. That was the icing. And so you went back home. Went back home. I was. Um, I decided to stay in Sydney at this stage. Um, and I was working every job you can think of. I was a pool plumber. I was a glass splashback installer. I was a concreter. Um, and eventually I landed a job as a security system salesman for a company called Secom Security. They're a Japan company. Okay. They gave me a retainer and a phone and a car and they said, go for it. And in three months, I made about three sales calls and spent most of my time driving from Sydney Beach to Sydney Beach to see what the view was like. So that was fun. And then somehow I got poached by a pest control company to come down and sell pest control down at the southern beaches of Sydney. So I did that for about eight months. And then I moved uh, back to the city of Sydney. And that's when I was doing the glass flashbacks. Uh, Moved to Melbourne after this. This is going to be, this is. uh, I love this so much. I moved to Melbourne after that. Uh, I got married to my first wife. Um, and then that's when I really eased into the sales jobs and started selling uh, stuff like upholstery fabric. I was a big upholstery fabric guy for a while. Sure. Um, then uh, lift chairs. I also sold lift chairs to nursing homes and uh, retirement villages. Um, I think that's actually, uh, coincidentally, I think that's how I blew my back out the first time because I was trying to carry these freaking recliners out of a Mercedes Sprinter <laughs> van into... Just to make a sale, you know, about fourteen hundred dollar recliners, I'd make a couple hundred bucks just to sure. try and make the ends meet. Um, so then, all hell broke loose when I when I met uh, a mate of mine that was in the. He was president of the Australian Baseball Federation, and he owned a pharmaceutical company. And hold on, let me go back for a second. This is going to be all. I, I actually went to Taiwan in two thousand and three and pitched oh. for a month in Taiwan, and. No surprise to anyone. I blew my back out, so I had to come home. That was when it all sort of started. That was downhill. I, I, I started coaching, um, and I figured my career was over at that stage. I, I had two back surgeries. I tried Taiwan. I tried America, and nothing had worked. So um, that's when I really dived into being a salesperson, was working as a pharmaceutical rep, was enjoying it, had a great life, um, was still pitching and coaching. And then as part of this pitching and coaching job, they asked me to come down to the uh, the, the state team's practice game against another state to see if I wanted to play. And there was Australian scouts there looking at other Australian players for the 2006 World Baseball Classic. I happened to catch the eye of John Diebel while I was pitching because he had a radar gun on me. Mind you, I'd never topped sort of 91 miles an hour while I was a professional. So he had the radar gun on me. I mean, it's 2005 and I'm throwing 96 miles an hour. Jeez. So he then comes to me and says, do you have any idea how hard you were throwing? I said, no. Um, he said, well, you were sitting 93 to 94 and he touched 96. And I was like, this is insane. Um, this was in October of 05. 
and the World Baseball Classic was in March of '06. So he's, he gave me those four and a half months to to get myself into shape and, and see if I could make the team. Ended up making the team. Um, and that was the goal that I'd set myself. That's all I wanted to do. I wanted to prove to myself and a lot of people that had doubted me years ago as to why I got released. Because if I'm completely honest, I was a mess as a 17, 18, 19-year-old kid. So, you know, everybody looked at me and sort of was like, this guy's a, a complete moron. He's never going to do anything. And, and I'd heard that a lot throughout my life. So for me to be able to come back and, and do what I did in 06 and make the Australian team, I felt like I'd, I'd done all I needed to do. I'd proved myself and everyone else that I could have pitched at this level had I been able to get myself going the right direction. So I pitch against Venezuela. It's a, it's my adrenaline's off, off the charts. I've come from club ball baseball and I'm facing Bobby Abreu and Maglio Adonias and Miguel Cabrera. So um, that in itself was, was just unbelievable an unbelievable experience. And then the next day, I get the Braves and they and they call me and they said, hey, we're interested in, in having you come and pitch for us, obviously in the minor leagues. So I had a discussion with my then pharmaceutical boss and I said, hey, um, you might want to find yourself a new sales guy because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give this thing a, a, a shot. I'm going to see if I can make it to the big leagues. So walked from the Ritz-Carlton for the WBC hotel into the Braves minor league hotel the next day with a roommate and... Uh, yeah, I guess the rest is history. Wow. Brandon. That's the short version. That's the short version. <laughs> That's the short version. My God, if you went into detail, I can't. That is the short version, I'm telling you. That is. There are so many stories along the way that I wish I could tell. I mean, it, it's a probably, it's, 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 I mean, even as, a, even as a salesperson for the upholstery fabric, I, you know, I just, I never worked. I, I, I relied on the fact that the guy before me had done such a good job that I was able to coast for six months and really not do anything. So when I say I was a good salesperson, I think I'm really good at, at being able to talk to people. I don't think I'm really good at selling things. <laughs> <laughs> I, that, is, that is just the most uh, insane story imaginable uh, mm. to, to get to the big leagues, which is, which is crazy because then once you actually did sign with the Braves and and pitch in the minor leagues, it you got to the big leagues kind of quickly, right? Yeah, it was. Um, well, Joey Devine actually, I, I was listening to your podcast podcast with with Sean, and he mentioned Joey Devine, and he was the guy that actually got injured that allowed me to get to the big leagues. He hurt himself on a West Coast road trip, and wow. they were on their way back to Atlanta, and I got the phone call, which was one of the coolest phone calls I've ever received in my life. The, <laughs> hey, I know you're in. I know you're in beer league six months ago, but we want you to come and pitch against the Phillies, <laughs> if you don't mind. <laughs> it's just, uh, Brandon, your story is just not nearly that. No, mine's absolutely <laughs> boring. I mean, the only people it's interesting to is me and my parents. Like, it's like <laughs> guy plays youth baseball, does goes each step along. Pro baseball says you can come play for us, and then a little bit later, I'm in the bit like. That's it. That's <laughs> it's it. so boring. You've had you've had you've had the major league career, which which is what a lot of people have had. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty just, standard. There's nothing to it. It's just a, it's it's incredible. It's mm. it's absolutely incredible. And but then, the crazy, yeah, I was just going to say the, the that was that was cool, and that was that was probably top three highlights. But honestly, getting back after all the shit that I've had to deal with has been one and two. Um, uh, 
I mean, I've signed player coaches deals to try and keep myself in a uniform. Um, it's just, you know, after 2015, I, everything I did was basically house money. So it's that's why I think I was able to enjoy those last three years yeah. as much as I did. What a blast. And then after 2018, didn't you go play in in uh did you go play in the Czech Republic? Where did you what did you do after that? I did. I was gonna I was gonna go play in Italy and then um the person that I'd spoken to in Italy, it, the league was going through some changes and it was gonna end up being a little bit too hard. So I had a mate of mine that had become a pitching coach in the Czech Republic. And I just thought, you know what, I'd never been to Europe. This is a good opportunity to get free flights over there to take the family and, and <laughs> check it out. So I um, jumped on a plane and went to the Czech Republic for three months last year. And you played or did you just coach? I actually started. I was starting every Friday. So they play Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And I was promised that I could get the Friday night game so I could leave on Saturday and travel for the week and then come back and pitch the next Friday. <laughs> I didn't do a lot of – there wasn't a lot of uh, in-between activity. It was mainly just – traveling around Europe and trying to get as much in as I could. And then I'd come back and pitch every, every Friday, throw a hundred pitches and off I'd go the next day. What was baseball like in the Czech Republic? Very similar to um, the way it was in Australia about 20 years ago. Um, okay. There's they're very new. Uh, they love, they love playing. Um, all these guys, are, uh, they have regular jobs. They, um, my shortstop was a firefighter. One of the starting pitchers was a gynecologist. Um, the there's actually a movie coming out. I'll, I'll I'll send you guys a link to it. There's a movie coming out about how the Czech national team is just made up of a bunch of guys that are kind of like us in '06, where I was a pharmaceutical rep. Um, the Australian team I'm talking about. Um, yeah, they're, they're just regular guys, and and they just love to play the sport on the weekend. It's Brandon. Did you ever think about playing overseas, doing doing some sort of nutty? you know, probably Japan, but, but anywhere, just giving it a shot. Yeah. We thought about it years ago, especially when I wasn't very good and it looked like major league baseball was about done with me. So that was, we, me and Amanda talked about it, like the idea of, you know, it might be fun to do, to do Japan um, at some point, just go over and you could just live abroad for a little bit and do it. And um, I guess, thankfully it didn't, didn't come. And then we'd actually thought <laughs> last year, we, Martian actually went and played in yes. Italy, I think two or three years ago. And, and so we've known them for years and we heard about it and it was kind of like pizza. It's just sort of like an all expense paid vacation, more or less. You're, you're not getting paid a lot, but it's, you can go live in Italy for three months, just play baseball on the weekends. And it's like, well, I feel reasonably certain I can get my body together for one start a week and do it against suboptimal competition. So we kind of kicked that around and then we just never really did anything with it. But it still sounds like a really interesting idea. There was a reason, but there was, there was obviously a reason. I, I was trying to stay in shape for the Olympics. Um, we still had a chance to qualify for the Olympics, and I was still pitching up until we were supposed to play the Olympic qualifier on April first through fifth. Um, and obviously, that's been postponed. But wow! Um, so there wasn't. It wasn't just. Oh, you know what? My big league is over. I'm just going to go see what Europe's all about. <laughs> <laughs> so there was a reason for it. I wanted to stay in pitching shape. I could have played independent ball, but um, yeah, that, that was. Seemed like a way better idea to go over this there. This is than... so much more fun. Are you, gonna, are, you, are you going to still try, uh, assuming everything goes off next year? Yeah, I haven't picked up a baseball since uh, just before Christmas. So uh, do I th – I don't know. I don't think um, – if I do it, I'm going to have to be serious about it. So I'd have to obviously allow myself a, a little bit of time to get into shape. But um, as of right now, as we sit, I think it's going to be tough. Yeah. 
Yeah. By the way, Mark, uh, I'm also friends with Mark Tian. He had a blast because all he did was he just went there and and like filmed Instagram videos and drank wine and then like would, you know, just go out there and and I mean, I, I don't know. It just seems to me like I mean, you're you've got Brennan, you've got a, a little girl at home. I mean, they, they're, these are tougher things to do, but uh, I would do that. I would totally do that. If I was like, I had just retired and, and I just wanted to spend a year, do something. Yeah. Just go to Italy and, 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 uh, and just hang out and, and play baseball on the weekend. That, that sounds really fun to me. Yeah. It doesn't, I, I don't know if I'll, I don't know what kind of shape I'm in. I, I, again, I haven't picked up a ball in forever. If it's something like I'd want to goof off with soon, like I think I still have probably maybe a year or two to do it if I wanted to. And, and yeah, my little one is is at an age where it's not like you're pulling her away from a huge. She's only four, so that it's probably the perfect time to do it. That's soon. true. But I, I don't. We're discussing this now, and I've I haven't left my house in seven <laughs> weeks. So all this sounds like a, a fantastic dream. So I, I don't know that any of this is a reality. Every dream. When you say you don't know what kind of shape you're in, I'm assuming you're not fat right the right now. I don't think I'm a lot. I don't think I'm able to get fat. But I can, you might be what one seventy pounds right now. <laughs> I can get my version of fat, which is just where it just looks like a melted candle. But otherwise, <laughs> that's about it. Uh, all right, yeah, this is the portion of the of the podcast where I have to ask each of you guys what you're doing. So, uh, Peter, what are you? How you, what are you doing? How are you? How are you uh, staying sane if you are during all of this? For the first, as I said to you earlier on, for the first couple of weeks, I was very very eased into the couch. And the um, Netflix was massive in my routine. Sure. I even started playing video games again. Ooh. Um, and then I, about three weeks ago, I thought, you know what? This is a good opportunity for you to figure out what you want to do with this house. Um, so I've just been trying to tidy up everything that there is to do with the house. As I said, I, I bought this house two and a half years ago. We moved in. The baseball season in 18 happened. And then I went to Europe. And then I was in Australia. So now... I'm back in the house and I'm able to do all the stuff that I haven't, I've been avoiding for the last basically two years. And what, what would this include? What, like, are you doing fixer upper things? Yes. What are you I've doing? installed a car stereo. Uh, I've what? completely um, sorted out every inch of my basement, including putting in a movie theater room for my daughter. Um, I thought about doing a golf simulator, uh, but that's going to be a little bit tougher than just throwing up a projector screen. Um, and then my lawn is immaculate. My kitchen is, my pantry looks like I could be on my own cooking show. I bought a sous vide machine, so I've started sous viding food. Um, oh, food Network, just give me some inspiration and I'll just usually go off on the tangent, start, start cooking whatever I can do for the afternoon. It's cooking, cleaning and organizing. I'm not handy at all. This is the time where I would probably give up 20% of my baseball career if I could just put a screwdriver in my hand and know what I was doing with it. <laughs> Um, because I could really go off at this place for now, but I yeah, don't it's... know. It sounds pretty. Ha- I mean, the, Brandon, compared to us, this sounds pretty handy to me. It sounds. This is inexplicable to me. I couldn't even imagine doing any of the things. I don't want to make the phone call to people who do know how to do those things to come to my. I, so the level YouTube, of effort there. YouTube has become my my <laughs> my reference for most things that you can usually find a YouTube video of somebody putting together what you're trying to do. It may not be good, but you'll get a gist of what you're supposed to do and then you can figure out from there. <sighs> no. Wow. Well, thank you. Brandon, what what have you spent the last couple of weeks trying to do? I 
stay sane, I guess. I, I really haven't haven't gotten to do much. I mean, I'd, um, I'm not a handy person, so things around the house that need to be done, I just notice. That's really yeah. about it. And then I tell my, <laughs> tell my wife, like, yeah, have you noticed that stripping? And then I move on to doing whatever it was I was doing before. That, that's you know, what takes that. Uh, that is so, because I can actually see you doing that. Yeah, and I mean, Amanda, it's, Amanda just glancing over, like, yeah, what do you want me to do about it? Bro? What do you want me to do? Like, <laughs> like, do you want me to give you the number? And I'm like, oh, no, that's not, I don't, I don't want to talk to anybody. So, no, I'm not, not the handiest fellow. So, no, there hasn't been a whole lot where it, it's still just tick off the hours in the day. I mean, Joe, as you know, we've, Pete and I have been kicking around the idea of starting a podcast. So, we've been playing with this and, and trying to figure out, like, how do you, how do you start this? How do you, um, how do you get one of these started? And that's, um, that's really about the only thing of any importance that I've been even fumbling around with, but not, not anything on Pete's level. No, you've been, but you've been trying to come up with a name for, for the, for the podcast. That's, that's exciting. Yeah. And that's been three days and I failed miserably. So that's, this is why I don't do plumbing. <laughs> yeah, I think we ought to have podcast listeners uh, tweet you p- potential names for a podcast with you and Peter. Don't you think? Oh, yeah. yeah. Crowdsource that. Cause we've been a big failure so far. <laughs> This would be great, though. I, 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 I think it would be. First of all, you spend the first four podcasts like, like, literally combined, having Peter tell the full fledged story of how he got started. Basically, it'll be an anthology and, series. It's just going to be like a Jordan documentary. It'll be a ten part series where Pete just goes through yearly. <laughs> yeah, one last. It's just not the last dance. It'll be one last. No, what can we call it? It'll be. It's going to have something to do with a series of run on dances. <laughs> <laughs> That would be so great. That, did you watch it, by the way? Have you watched it, the, the the Jordan series? I did not watch it last night, no. I didn't either. And I was, my plan, the way I don't like watching things episodically right. because it's, it drives right. me nuts. So I like to watch it all at once. But then I realized I've gotten five or six text messages and messages this morning of this so and so. So I'm completely out of the loop. And now I, I feel like I have to watch it. And I'm, I'm kind of annoyed by that. I wish everybody would sit tight and watch it all at once. But <laughs> I might have to just watch it week by I'm, week. I'm, Actually, on this one, I am totally one hundred percent with you. I'm, I'm desperately annoyed because I want to see it, and I have not started it, and now I feel like I'm totally left out. I feel I, it feels like to me like when Game of Thrones was like going at full, you know, and all I would see on Twitter were Game of Thrones references, and I didn't watch Game of Thrones, and I just felt like I was the like the loneliest person in the world. And now I feel the same way about this Jordan thing. Everybody talking about it. And, and I'm like, yeah, I want to see it, but I, I, now I feel like I'm maybe it's just going to be too late. It'll just what year was it set in? What, what year was it uh, supposed to, was it in the 90 season of the 90, what, what is, it 90, is it 97? Was that the last year of the dynasty? 96, right? Was the last year. Was is that right? I don't, yeah, it was 96, 97, right in that. Yeah. The amazing, yeah, I, the amazing thing was the sheer footage that they would have had to gather to get 10 hours worth of a documentary based on one year. They, they recorded the entire season. Apparently, it was a warehouse full of just, it was everything right. from that. I was reading an article, I read articles about it. I just haven't watched the show. That they have everything from that year. It's incredible the access they had, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. And, and apparently, they didn't even know what they were going to do with it. And I think Jordan finally gave like permission to go ahead and use it. Marissa, our producer is telling us that it was focused on 97. Okay. Uh, so uh, Marissa watched it, which, you know, they're just, we're the only three people in the world that haven't seen it. I haven't seen it and yet. The, and the thing that's craziest of all about it is 
uh, you know, I covered Jordan. I mean, like, I like, and and I'm sure all of us were like deeply aware of Jordan. I'm sure there's stuff in there that that I didn't know. I'm sure, I, you know, and and all that. But I got to say, all of the tweets that I'm seeing are like, ah, Jerry Krause was a jerk. Like, <laughs> like I kind of knew all of that already. Like, I I I'm sure it is like super surprising and all that. But I will say that nothing I have seen in Twitter or or in people responding to it um, has has surprised me at all so so jordan owns the rights to the footage as well um, that's good because i was really hoping that he wasn't going to struggle this year <laughs> <laughs> he's going to be okay good, he's good, gonna good, he's good. gonna be okay i think uh, i think uh, he was trying to yeah i think he was holding on to that like for his uh retirement kids. yeah for his kids education yeah. and um yeah i think he's gonna he's gonna do all right i, I actually don't know what his what his uh you know stake in all of this is i think he just had i just don't think you could have done it without him i think right. that's basically what yeah and i think he did have i thought i saw something he had to sign off on the on the footage being used or something right. so i don't know if he kept rights to it or how that worked but good for him for making a good business decision yeah yeah, yeah i think i think he's good and and i i like it i mean i you know the thing that's weird for me i'm older than than both you guys uh and and so the thing that's weird to me is it doesn't feel to me. I know it is true because Jordan retired, whatever, 20 years ago, almost 20 years ago. So I get it. Um, it doesn't feel to me long enough to have like a retrospective of like, like, like the Kennedy assassination I get, you know, but like George, Michael Jordan, like that wasn't, it just wasn't that long ago, but I guess it was, I guess yeah, what's I, happened is I'm just getting old. That's all. Yeah. It's just, I, I mean, now the amount of time, sheer amount of time that is spent online of arguing the LeBron versus Jordan and then people, I, I, the absolute. I, I'm just, as you know, I'm not a basketball fan, so I just see it all the time. Yeah. But it's like I don't, I don't care. They're both very good basketball players who tried their best. Let's just all give them a round of applause. And why do we have to rank them? I don't know. That's what I can't figure out. And this probably doesn't bode well if we're going to start a podcast that we don't want to rank people. That's all anything. That's that's all this is. But I, I'm not quite certain of why it's so important that we all come to a consensus that no, he's number one. He's number two. All right, let's go back to work. I don't get it. Yeah, as as somebody who just ranked the hundred greatest baseball players, I really appreciate you saying that. <laughs> um, did I make it, or you just missed? Okay, because just... I, I, I after last week's or the week before was episode, I went back to look at my base, baseball reference page. Yes, and I'm actually ranked number five hundred twenty-five reliever of all time. So yes, uh, yeah. yes. I don't know if you want to put that in my next year's arbitration. So. <laughs> I, I thought hard about it. Of course, I'm I'm willing to make the argument that you're that you're the greatest uh, Australian pitcher. I'm right handed relief pitcher for through right, side. Well, right handed yeah. relief pitcher, like you have that locked down. I think, right. but no, nah, Balfour. I'm, I'm saying you and Graham Lloyd and and uh, and Grant Balfour. I think you're right there. I, I'm just saying, I because especially how late you started your career for all the reasons that we've gone over. I I think you're right there. Thank all you. right. It is time for us to do our draft. So, uh, Peter, this is what we do. We draft stupid things, and we never really even explain what the what the you know sort of uh, point of the draft is. Uh, we just draft things. So this week we are drafting the five funniest things that we've ever seen on a baseball diamond. Right? Yeah. That's that yeah. it, Brandon. That's is that fair? Yeah. The, the only thing I you didn't tell me there was going to be five, Brandon. You said there was going to be one. <laughs> oh, hell, I wrecked my brain for five things now. I told you there was going to be a draft. How many one-round drafts do you know of? 
I was never drafted. Doesn't care about drafts. I can see that. We'll help you out. We'll, okay. we'll help you out. I have some extras uh, because uh, I'm going to, but we'll see how that, how that plays out. Brandon, okay. uh, you're, you're ready for this, right? I think so. As long as nobody, I have five, as long as nobody takes one. And I don't remember if we ever set a ground rule that do you have to have been there for it? Or is it just that you've seen? I hope not. No, no, yeah. no. You, just that you've okay. seen, even if you've seen oh, okay. it on television, it doesn't matter. It okay. doesn't matter. As long as you've, even if you've heard about it in, in great detail, you could probably use it. So, <laughs> it I, I don't think have we shut have the microphones off for a few of the ones that I've got. <laughs> yeah, we, we, we definitely don't need you to like have like proof of purchase or anything. Peter, since you're our guest, you get to go first. Okay. Um, I think the funniest thing that I've witnessed on a baseball field, and I actually had the pleasure of being in a clubhouse with this guy the very next year, was Chad Qualls when he did the epic fist bump fall over roll oh. into the third baseline <laughs> back in the day. Um, we were in spring training with Houston the very next year, and his, the first thing he said to me was, dude, if you ever want to reinvent your career, go to Miami because you just give up $400, $400 foot bombs and they get caught. And the second thing he said was it was one of the most embarrassing things I've ever done. He he gave it the almighty heave. He was he his it's like his ankle and knee gave way at the same time. Just like a tripod leg just broke. And he fell to the ground and rolled over. It was absolutely perfect. I loved it. That is a great one. That is an absolutely great and hilarious thing that happened. Very good. That's an excellent, excellent. You're you're you've taken the lead already in this draft. All right, well, Brandon. I was one of one. That's not that hard. <laughs> well, it's, it might be downhill from here. I, I uh, can't say. I can't say for sure. All right, Brandon, your first pick. Uh, in two thousand, June twenty ninth, two thousand fifteen, um, with Jeez. the Dodgers, um, I came with research because one, I have Pete, as you know, I have a terrible brain. It doesn't remember anything. So even I got angry hearing your pick. It's like, oh, that's such an obvious choice. I forgot that it ever happened. Right. And so I had to remember that I actually remembered the things that are on my list. So I had to look them up just to, I'm prone to false memories. So June 29th, <laughs> 2015, Dodgers are playing um, in Arizona. Mike Bolsinger starting. Uh, before the game, Mike Bolsinger is just, he's not in good shape. I don't know if it's food poisoning, flu, something. He's hes not in good shape. He, he decides to go out for the, for the start. And Mike's kind of a flighty guy as it is. And you, you can't ever tell if something's wrong with him or what what's going on with him. But he, he goes out, and in between each inning, he just comes straight down the tunnel, right into the clubhouse, right in the bathroom, and then keeps coming out for each inning to pitch. Finally goes out for the fourth inning, and it's clear something has happened. Like, you are, you're not looking at someone who's pitching at all at full strength anymore. He's, he's just getting through this inning. He's actually throwing pretty well. I think, I think very few hits and definitely no runs. And all of a sudden, it's, it's, he's goose-stepping around. He's kind of hunched over. You're aware something's happened. He gets out of the inning and just goose steps his way with like a hunched over belly right off the field, straight down the tunnel, right up in the clubhouse and tells him like, I'm done. I'm out of the game. Like I can't pitch anymore. He has fully pooped his pants in the <laughs> major league mountain. Up, up by a few runs, I think. Uh, leaves the game after four scoreless. And that was it. And that was, there was just something to like his personality and then that happening to him that you just couldn't get enough of and just laughing hysterically until I think we blew the game later on and that's my number one. So if you don't mind, can I jump in? Because I feel like Brandon's leading the witness a little bit here. And okay. uh, I have a story from our last year together and getaway day, very similar. Uh, we're in um, Detroit, we're in Lakeland, and uh, we're getting ready to, to jump on the flight home. We're all in our suits. We're feeling great. 
And if you haven't played in the game that day, you get to go in and shower early and just get dressed up. And, and so I'd been in my suit for probably half an hour, 45 minutes when the game had finished and everybody's come in. And I'm uh, standing around and the, the guys that play jump in the shower. Everyone's, we're all getting ready to leave. And all of a sudden, I felt a little bit of a stomach murmur <laughs> to which I thought I'd, I'd, I'd get a little relief, as you know what I'm saying. Yeah. That said relief became a little more than what I would have expected it to be. And <laughs> I then had to run full suit into the bathroom, drop said drawers, replace uh, jocks with commando and fly commando all the way home to Atlanta. So that's my shitting my pants story also. You... I forgot about that. I think this is, Joe, this is the heart of it. Like if you haven't gotten a full anthology of these stories, this is the one thing you're missing. I think everybody has about five good stories of this. This is not the only thing that's, that's universal throughout the years of baseball. Like, yeah. <laughs> It's very strong. It is yeah. very, very strong. All right. My first pick, all I am going to be taking, uh, it's impossible for me to narrow it down. Uh, so what I'm going to do is only take um, things that happened to the Kansas City Royals in the mid-2000s when I covered them. Uh, and just doing that, it was almost impossible to narrow it down to five, uh, even just off of the Kansas City Royals. So number one, uh, I actually mentioned this to you uh, yesterday, uh, uh, Brandon, we... Um, it was a game in September of 2005. The Royals, um, it, it was there was nothing really going on. It was against the White Sox, and Brandon, you were there, uh, but you don't remember this, and and probably were not paying attention. The Royals were were terrible, and there was no reason to pay much attention. Um, AJ Prusinski was on first, and I believe Juan Uribe hit a fly ball to left field, and the the Royals uh, left fielder that game was, um, I believe, Terrence Long. And the center fielder was Chip uh, Chip Ambrose, Ambrose, and uh, they both converged on the ball. Uh, it was just the end of the inning. It was just like a, just a routine fly ball end of the inning. They were converged on the ball, then they kind of looked at each other, and then they just started running in to to the dugout. They just started running in, and they both forgot to actually catch the ball. So the ball just it was it was like the most perfect comedic timing I've ever seen. They're running in and the ball just plops like <laughs> 10 feet behind them. Like it just, just plops. It seemed like it just like landed on a pillow. It just, it just plopped just right behind them. And then like, I don't even know, but I, I, there's no video of it that I know of. And maybe, maybe somebody can find some, but in my memory, they did like a, like a comedy movie, like double take, like at each other, like, Oh, what, what happened? And then both ran back to get the ball and it was, it was, we were just in absolute hysterics. It was one of the funniest things <laughs> I've ever seen. And it would have been funny, like any team had done it, but the fact the Royals uh, had done it and they had just lost 20 in a row and, and that team days. was, was just disastrous on every front. Um, yeah, it was hilarious. We really need to put out a request that if someone knows where we can find that video in some way, <laughs> I, since you've been describing it to me, I, I don't know if it's maybe just better in my head now as I picture it, but I, I really have to see the video. I want yeah, to remember. Yeah. It's, it's, it's really strong in memory. Like that's like seeing it live was so great. I remember I went into the Royals booth uh, and Denny Matthews had been the Kansas city Royals and might still do some of this, but he had been the Kansas city Royals announcer since uh, the very beginning, the first year. Uh, so this was his whatever 40th year. And I said, Denny, you ever seen anything like that? And he's like, nope. So I just, <laughs> I just feel like, 
I just feel like that was a very, very special thing to have seen. <laughs> All right. Peter, do you, have you come up with a second one? Did you? I've already done my second, but I mean, the only third one I can really think about was I think as far as uncomfortable funny moments because I put myself in this guy's situation a lot of the time was when Michael Morse had to do the air swing, Grand Slam swing. Oh yes, and run around the bases for. Because can someone is pleased to this day explain to me why he had to do the swing and couldn't just they couldn't just say it was a home run and go? Yeah. Do you remember what, do you remember but, what happened? But do you remember he had to run backwards around the bases to get back to home, then air swing, and then run, every, everything about it made no sense. None whatsoever. And today's that age with the video replay, it obviously wouldn't have happened. But back then it was – and I felt like it took 12 minutes for them to make that decision. So everyone was just sort of standing around in the middle of a baseball game thinking, well, this, is not, this is not supposed to be happening this way. It was kind of funny, though. I mean, it was funny to see it. Look at his reactions. If you go back and look at the video and you look at his reactions of him doing that, it's it's just comical because he's like, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. He's running. He'll, he'll run in one direction, and then he'll go back the other direction, and then he'll start another direction, and then he's, he's looking around for advice, and everyone's like, I don't know. I don't know what to do. In the middle of a Major League Baseball game, people had no idea what they were supposed to be doing. Nobody understood it. It was so weird. It was just mm-hmm. so weird. That's a good one. There's I so like many. You. There's so many baseball moments that I I always imagine like because there's these weird little oddities that happen in the game that I hope it's the first time for a, to ever see a baseball. I just picture like a European tourist coming over and checking out a game and then just sitting there and like what what was that like <laughs> like that didn't match anything else I saw. Someone has to explain that to me and everybody around them goes I don't know I, I really I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. I like it. All right, uh, Brandon, your second pick. Uh, my second is is October third, two thousand seven. Uh, Ted Lilly facing Chris Young uh, in their division series game. Um, Ted Lilly gives up a, a massive home run to Chris Young to to put the Diamondbacks up three two. And Ted Lilly, after he throws the pitch and sees the ball just rocket off Chris Young's bat, he twirls around and hucks his glove into the ground I've on the mound. That. And it is it, it just gives me such immense joy. I can watch the gif over and over and over and over again because it. One, it's just such a petulant move, and I don't know if it, maybe it's just because he's even left-handed. It just looks so like childlike, um, and just knowing that feeling of having given up so many home runs, where you're like, I just want to throw everything in the world, especially the glove, and have always restrained it to the fact that someone actually did it. I think this is the like the good quitting story when you finally tell a boss, like there's just something that he did the thing nobody else has done, and I I laughed to, to this day. Beautiful. It was beautiful. It was very, very uh, like um, like uh, uh, bad news bears. You know, it was very just just throwing the glove to the ground and just and just uh, and his expression, his facial expression oh. was just like such rage. I mean, it was just so. I I like actually just on the in that whole theme of you know, and it's no good to say this to a couple of pitchers, but that 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 facial expression of pitchers when when they've given one and sometimes even before the ball is even hit but but certainly after the ball is hit and they know they've given up not just a home run but like a really really long blast home run that expression is is priceless and very very funny it's it's often it's often very very funny you could do a wonderful master cut of just hundreds and hundreds of thousands of home run faces but he even one of my i'm watching it now on full loop and the fact that after the glove hits the ground and then bounces he immediately snaps his head back around to then look at how far did this ball go? That's what you know. Like you already knew it was gone. You're already mad, and you're like, "Well, let's just see how far." 
What, what, by the way, was, was both of your strategies? Did you want to look back when you've given up or were you just sort of like head down uh, for me, head down, right? Yeah, that's, it, was that's, a, it was a head straight down. And then, uh, I also look at the hitter to judge what they were doing. Cause a lot of yeah. times you could tell, well, how well they got it based on, yeah. obviously if they're doing a backflip and pimping and they've thrown <laughs> their bat into the stands and there's probably a good chance that they've got, it's gone. But, um, yeah, I like to look at their reaction too. Cause if it's, it, you can tell if they don't think they quite got it. And I like that feeling. <laughs> Brandon? It depended on the type of, there's probably different reactions. Like if someone absolutely killed it and I knew it, then I would turn around just to see, okay, well, let's see how far this one goes. Uh, anything that I didn't feel like was gone, I would turn around and just hoping, just kind of clench butt cheeks of like, someone's going to catch that, someone's going to catch it, let's, someone rob it, and then they never do. And then uh, there's the other ones where you feel like you've made a good pitch and I would just turn and stare at it in disbelief of like, how did that, how is that a home run, which which became much more common the last few years as the balls definitely golf balls? I mean, you just turn and you just that, that those would be the good faces where you're just making some sort of idiotic face, um, looking at a ball leave that has never left before. There's also that video that went around uh, just a couple of days ago uh, of your reaction to Ender Inciate making that catch at the yes. home run wall the other day. Yeah. Just the old wow, wow, because <laughs> it's the only time I've ever had a home run rod in my career, and so I couldn't yeah. believe it had finally happened. Yeah. I I remember Glendon Rush giving up a uh, a home run to Mark McGuire like a 550 foot home run. It was 98. He hit it up into that whatever became Big Mac Land or whatever. Yeah. And the it was it, there were a couple of pitchers who did this, but never quite to the extent of Glendon Rush. He was proud of that home run after the game. Like like after the game, he was talking about it. Like yeah, I totally wanted to high five him. I mean, that was, like, <laughs> you never think anything you throw can get hit that far. Like that's mm. like, there's a sense of pride that he took in, in, uh, in giving up that home run. And he's probably right. He'll probably tell people, you know, that he, that he gave up that home run for the rest of his life. Like, like people will like, that's, it's a story forever. So I love it. <laughs> All right. With my uh, second pick, uh, I'm going back to now the 2006 Royals. Uh, for a while there, do you guys remember Kerry Robinson? You remember him with the Cardinals? I don't know if either of you ever. I remember the name for sure. Yeah, I faced him. Yeah, the, the Royals traded for Kerry Robinson more or less at the end of his career, uh, and he was playing center field. It was a Sunday, and I I was not there for the game, but I was watching it on television. I actually had to speak somewhere that night, and I remember I was sort of preparing. I was getting dressed to to go to to the event, and uh, and I'm watching the game, and and I don't even know who it was but they hit a long fly ball to, to center field and Kerry Robinson raced back and climbed the wall, like in, in very athletically climbed the wall and the ball landed like eight feet in front of him and bounced off of the, off of the warning track and went over the fence for a ground rule double while he was sort of like, he was sort of like Spider-Man on the wall. He was like holding the top of it and like <laughs> still, still clinging. And then the ball just bounced right over his head. Again, perfect comedic timing. But what made that one even better was the umpire called it a home run because he got fooled by the fact that Kerry Robinson had climbed the wall to catch this thing. And Buddy Bell was, I believe, the Royals manager then. And he raced out to scream at the umpire that it was not a home run. It was a ground rule double. And you could see the umpire's like look on his face was like, well then tell your guy not to climb the wall. Like I like, like he was sort of like 
I don't understand how you could expect me to make that call when your own players are climbing walls on ground rule doubles. I don't understand anything about what just happened. It was it was ideal and perfect and and very much 2000s Kansas City Royals. So mm. oh, God. That's, <laughs> that's perfect. <laughs> it's perfect. The great thing is that these get no worse. Each all five of these, they're like 12 that I left off. All five of these are utterly priceless. All right. Uh, Peter, your third pick. I am going to go with, um, okay. So I, this is, this is going to sound pretty self-indulgent, but I, I pulled a pretty good prank. Uh, I'm not going to say the year. I'm not going to say the team, but you guys would know that during spring training, um, you know, you tend to look around the, the clubhouse and see the guys that are getting a lot of equipment and see the guys that aren't getting a lot of equipment. Sure. Um, and I was one of those guys that would very rarely get anything, um, was not a big sponsored guy. Uh, but there was a certain guy in, in the clubhouse that was always, every day would come in and just wanted to have stuff. He just loved the idea of getting free stuff. I guess that's <laughs> what it was. Right. So every day, if there wasn't a package on his, on his, uh, on his chair, he'd be, he'd be furious. He was waiting on a pair of shoes to come for about two weeks. And eventually, because we were right next to him, I said, you know what? This is too good to let go. So I ordered a pair of size 15 yellow and black New Balance. This guy, by the way, is one of the shortest relievers to ever play the game. So <laughs> size 14 was not his shoe size. I put in, I put on a New Balance letterhead. I wrote the letter out. I misspelt his name, both first and last name. <laughs> Um, and then I put the letter inside the shoebox so that when he would come in and open it, it was the first thing we saw. Oh, it was just brilliant. It was oh. it was absolutely fantastic. So he was obviously pretty pretty fired up about that towards the end of it. But yeah, the whole I still have pictures of the boxes. I still have pictures of the letter. It was it was great. The whole clubhouse was in on it too, which kind of makes me feel like a bit of a dick. But um, <laughs> it was fun for the time. It's very good. I like it very much. I think Thank that's you. I think that's that's excellent. Thank you very Brandon, much. Brandon, what do you think? Uh, yeah, I wish I was there for it. I wish I had seen I want to see the video evidence or the, the picture evidence of this. You got to get that thing on there. Absolutely. All right, Brandon, your third pick. Uh, my third is it's March 16, 2009. It happened to be a, um, a game that I was there for. I'm sitting in the dugout. I'm not starting that day. Um, there's a, Frank Catalanato hits a comebacker to Julian Tavares. Um, I think there's nobody on. I can't quite remember. And Julio Tavares gets the ball and just rolls it to first base from the pitcher's mound. Just pulled it right to first base for no reason. His quotes after is like, I don't know why I did it. I felt like doing it. Um, and I remember just this like slack-jawed feeling of first. I was thought like, oh, he blew out. So he just threw it. To, he just rolled it to first. And then he just kept going about as normal. Uh, and I mean, we're just all in stitches in the dugout trying to figure out like, what the hell has just happened. Why We've never seen that before. And we just found out it was just... I guess just Julian being Julian, and it was yeah, at the time it was hysterical. That's so he did, and he just—I mean, like he never made anything of it, like nothing. It just happened, and then he went on. And he just like that was—he just felt like doing it. I guess I—it was the weirdest, <laughs> weirdest thing. And yeah, just he kept pitching the inning because I think that was either the first or second out, and it was like nothing had happened. Julian had a very long career though, so I guess at some point you got to understand that you got to try and things make things interesting. It can get boring out there on the mound. You got to try and throw people for a loop every now and then. I was shocked to find out that Julian uh, played for eleven different teams in the big leagues. 
that's a that's I mean that's not record, but it's close to record. That's that's I mean, and he didn't have like as long a career as some of the guys who have played for more teams. I mean, he he just played for a different team for eleven straight years, essentially. I mean, that's right. quite the quite the career, quite the career. All right, uh, with my third pick, uh, I am going to choose. Um, so the Royals had a guy in the mid two thousands named Ken Harvey. I don't know if you guys remember Ken. Brandon, you probably pitched to Ken Harvey, I would imagine, at some point. I would think so, but I don't remember anything of any importance, so I no. it's possible. <laughs> Ken Ken was uh he was a he, Ken was like a terrific college hitter at Nebraska and the Royals drafted him and he came up and he actually was he, like he could hit. I mean, he he was actually the Royals all-star one year, which you know speaks as much to what the Royals yeah. were like then as anything else. But still, he had this weird style where he would have his hands like apart and they would slide together during the swing. It was really yeah. strange. Like, I do remember that now. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It was very odd. And he, he sort of danced. He was a big guy, but he sort of danced around a little bit in the, in the, in the batter's body. He was, he was a, he was quirky. He also was like the unluckiest guy. Like, cause he was like, a, you know, he was, it wasn't a terrific player, but he was a pretty good player. He could hit and, and, and he was, he was he was very serious about the game. He, he took it very seriously, but he always ended up like being in the goofiest plays. So he was in three incredibly goofy plays that I remember. One where he was throwing the ball and he threw the ball right into uh, the face of a relief pitcher, just literally just just like a right hand cross, just threw it right into the guy's face. Uh, and it was and it was Jason Grimsley too. So so uh, you know Jason Grimsley didn't take that especially well. Well, uh, man. What's that? He's a well-mannered man. Yeah, I was going to say Jason. Mild Jason Grimsley, by the way, um, very strangely um, was... The full know, he, guy, right? Yeah, well, he had this reputation of being, you know, a, a tough, you know, you know, not a great guy, whatever. But I once brought my uh, oldest daughter to spring training and and we were, you know, she was playing in the dirt or something. And Jason Grimsley of all people like came over there and sat next to her and played like in the dirt with my, with my daughter. It was, mm. it was just like the last person I expected that to happen. But anyway, um, so he had that one and then he had one where he was like kind of fighting with the tarp uh, on a, on a foul ball that, that didn't, it didn't go well, but my favorite one without question, there was a ball hit to right field. I believe Aaron Guile was playing right field for the Royals then. And uh, Aaron Guile threw home. There was a guy in second and he was trying to throw the guy out. And uh, <laughs> Ken Harvey was just standing there as the cutoff man, but he was not facing like Aaron Guile. He was facing home plate and the ball just whacked him right in the back. Just absolutely. Like, I mean, it could not have been a more perfect throw in that. It just absolutely whacked him right in the back. And he fell like he was like somebody had just shot him and he just fell to the ground. And it is one of the funniest things uh, I've seen in or out of baseball. It is, it is an absolute, absolute classic. And, uh, and uh, so I will always, uh, I will always cherish Ken Harvey. My God. I just, I just Googled him and Grimsley and the other play where Grimsley's trying to cover first and, Ken Harvey comes in running in to make a throw to home and he literally just throws it into Grimsley at the same time and they both jump together and then explode. I, I felt, oh my, I, 
Well, it's in the, it's in the link. I think I just sent it to you. It, it is. I was in his. I had to mute my my speaker. I was in hysterics. I almost fell off. Until you see him on the ground, both of them in serious pain, maybe bleeding and really hurt, and I still couldn't <laughs> stop laughing. I, even with that image, I was just losing it. It's truly hysterical. If you click on the link, by the way, if you just click in uh, Harvey Grimsley hurt in collision, uh, you just Google that, uh, it'll show up. <laughs> there's a there's a very very funny camera thing that they do. So he'll th- he throws the ball right into Grimsley's face. Yep. Just absolutely. It's like it's like you you. It's almost impossible to do. I, I yes. think they're both moving at each other, and then they both go f- collapse in the ground like two wrestlers, you know, in a in a cage fight. But then, like the camera just goes away from them, and like starts taking starts taking a picture down the third base line for no reason. Almost like the guy who was taking the photo, the uh, camera, had just broken out laughing, and 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 they had to like cut oh to a different camera because because of that. It is an all-time classic. And if it you, for anybody who puts that link in, if you get to one minute forty-six seconds in the clip, it, it shows it up close from the third base side, and you can just Ooh. see this train wreck coming and Grimsley's face being on the. It is, oh my god! It, it, it's absolutely a bad video game of like the programmers really didn't do a good job on this. <laughs> the great, the great thing about the close-up is Grimsley sees it like at the yes. last second. <laughs> And there's nothing to be done. It's it's a Muhammad Ali right cross, and there's absolutely nothing to be done. Yeah. And at no point, by the way, does Ken Harvey see Grimsley. At right. no point does he see him. How did you make that throw without thinking that that guy's going to run into your, your arm path? <laughs> so, and that's the second funniest thing, because I'm telling you, the Aaron Guile throw that hits him in the back and, and shoots him is even funnier. It's <laughs> it's it's the greatest. It's the, the Roger greatest. the Roger Dawn reaction where Roger uh, Dawn. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Peter. Your next pick. I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm just gonna give you a, a few ways as one if that's a little short and sweet ones, if that's okay. I I think Carl Farnsworth picking up um I can't remember is the was it the Picking someone up, charging the hitter was the best thing that I've heard the description. <laughs> to see him charge the hitter, pick him up and slam him on the ground, I, that was something I'd never see before or after. Uh, Melky Cabrera made a throw when he was with the Braves uh, from center field in Cincinnati that ended up going to right field. I don't know if you guys have seen that video clip, but he was trying to make a throw to second. Completely slipped out of his hand and not just went a couple of feet to the left. I'm talking went from center field to the right field corner. <laughs> that was embarrassing. And I think one of the best one of the best pranks that I've obviously not witnessed, but I've I've seen was the when Joe Carter sold Derek Bell's car. Yeah. And there's yeah. a video of them driving around the stadium. Like, could you imagine seeing your car driving around a major league basketball stadium oh. while you're playing a game and they've given it away as a as a crowd giveaway. I think the real prank is, is that car. That's the most hideous car. <laughs> the I green, green Jeep Cherokee. With the green Cherokee, rims. old, small rims. It is absolutely, he was doing, that's not a prank, that's a favor. That's a favor. <laughs> it's a favor. Uh, Kyle Farnsworth, I need to bring up one Kyle Farnsworth moment. Kyle Farnsworth and Jeremy Affelt uh, once got into, like when, when Affelt was with the Royals, they, they like, it was, it was like a, semi-fight and then like it got broken up or whatever but you know Kyle Farnsworth had as you guys might remember a, a ferocious temper and so after the game ended Affelt was walking through the tunnel and and he saw Kyle Farnsworth and he like 
he was like, what do I do? Like, cause this guy could kill me like right now. And nobody would, nobody's even here. I mean, there's nothing to be done. And, and F kind of walks over to Farnsworth and Farnsworth. He says to Farnsworth, like, man, crazy game or something. And, and Farnsworth was like, yeah, man, if I ever get that guy or something, he, he didn't know it was him. He had like <laughs> completely already forgotten that it was Jeremy <laughs> Affelt that he had gotten in the fight with. So, so uh, I've always appreciated that. Like All right, Brandon, your fourth pick. My fourth is is anything Adrian Beltre has, has ever done. Um, <laughs> I'm going to start with him moving the mat in, in 2017 it's, versus the Marlins. Oh, my God. I, Adrian Beltre was um, – and I faced him a million times. It was this weird – there were the weirdest – everybody else, it's this quiet focus at bat, so you're aware of the stakes. It's just everything calms down. And with Beltre, it went the other way. It was like he was way too comfortable with what was happening. He was peaceful. He was just having fun. And you were just trying like hell to, to stay in baseball. And so eventually, like when I was doing better, I, you could settle into that. And you're like, okay, this is fun. And the first time, he would do a check swing and check himself down to first base, I would just, it was like, I wanted to just throw up laughing on the mound and I was trying to put a serious face. It, and so he, and he did it a million times and it never stopped making me laugh, but him moving the mat in the middle of the game and the umpire immediately throwing him out. Um, it just tops the list for, for comedy. It, it is the greatest. Really it is so funny. And that game was completely out of control. It was like 19 to seven or something. Something. Yeah. yeah. And like the the great thing was the progression of Beltre, like because he, he kept saying get closer to the to the on deck circle, and Beltre just like he didn't believe him. Like you're joking, right? I mean, this is the game is out of control, and and he wasn't joking. And and Beltre pulls. Oh, it was so funny him pulling mm-hmm. him pulling that over. Awesome. All right, uh, my fourth pick. There are two. Um, there are two great royal sunglasses incidents uh as far as uh losing fly balls in the sun when they weren't wearing sunglasses <clears throat> one i believe was by uh alberto Cayaspo, who for some reason the royals had decided to put in center field that day and it was a super bright day and he wasn't wearing his sunglasses and somebody hit a fly ball to him um and and it hit Cayaspo in the face just just I don't even know that it touched any glove. It might've like ticked off the glove. And admittedly, admittedly, I don't really know. I know there are different feelings <clears throat> about how important sunglasses are on sunny days, like how much they help, how much they don't help. I, I don't even know what the, what the, what the like protocol is if you, you know, whatever. But what I do know is that on the flight home, several people told me, Alberto Cayaspo was wearing sunglasses to cover up the shiner that he had gotten on the, on the fly ball. So I always appreciated that. And then, and then even better for me, the Royals uh, had Tony Pena Jr. You guys remember him? When, mm, I, played, uh, I played with these two guys. Every guy you guys mentioned, I played with. There <laughs> <laughs> you go. Yeah. Tony, Tony Pena Jr. You might've played with him when he, once he'd switched to pitching. I'm not sure. Um, yeah, no, he was my shortstop in 06. Okay, he was shortstop, right? Yeah. So, so he was a shortstop, uh, pop up, um, and and uh, you know, in the in the sun, and he did not have his sunglasses on, and he dropped the pop. I don't think it hit him, but he dropped the pop up. And again, you know, not judging whether you should wear sunglasses or not, but afterward, we said to him, "Why don't you have your sunglasses?" And he said, 
because they're prescription sunglasses and they've been on order for like two months and I haven't gotten them yet. Like the team literally had not <laughs> provided him with sunglasses. And I just thought, yeah, that's, that's the Royals. Royals. <laughs> so there you go. All right. Um, Peter, you actually have a fifth pick. You can just use one of the previous ones if you want. Um, I, yeah, I actually, I do really want to get the fact that it was just this spring training. So I feel like it's fresh in everyone's memories, but the timing and the hilarity that ensued when Freddie Freeman was mic'd up during that spring training game, running the bases. <laughs> and he said, watch this boys. And he comes sprinting around the bases and the, and the slide into home plays with the, with the reflection up to the booth. It was just, I thought it was one of the funnier moments I'd seen. And I was never a big, I never liked having microphones on players, but after seeing that, I figured that it could, it could work. I don't know if it could work when the game gets serious. It has to be a moment where you can shut them off. But that for me was one of the, one of the funniest things I've seen on, especially during a spring training game where no one really cares. What do you think about micing players up there, Brandon? Uh, I think it's fine. Way. Don't worry. It's not like, it's not intrusive. I, I'm all for it just because I think there's, there's a lot of good stuff. I don't know that I would, in a serious game, I would want the players like being interviewed necessarily like that, where it's, right. they're actually talking with a booth. But the idea of it being mic'd up so, so you can, I, I don't know, like I, anytime you watch like the NFL breakdowns, and they've they've got that the sound. It just makes like there's an extra layer there. I always find really interesting. So okay. I don't know if it would be that interesting, but I think over a course of a season, you could get enough good stuff in there that just makes baseball look a little bit more fun. I think it, I think it could work. I think it could work. I mean, it's you know, and I, I think it would take a little while for players to sort of get used to it and not you know perform because I think that's when it gets that's the to biggest be thing for me. I think is yeah, that, yeah. I mean, you know. When you know that the attention's on you, you sometimes try and go out of the ordinary to, to right. be funny or to, you know it's it's it, you can, it just won't work because you're obviously clearly trying too hard. But I, that's why I think if you had everybody wearing one and you knew it, then it would go away pretty quick. And it's like there is no instant like feedback to it. It's just we're just collecting all this, and then over over time, I guess I don't. I could see it kind of working, but it's it'd be tough for a little bit. We just I need agree. more access. I think in general, the game needs more access. Um, I just think we're lacking. Uh, I watched a Formula One, oh, a Formula One documentary. It's uh, fantastic. Did you guys watch it? It's, it's, oh, it's single-handedly got me into Formula One. I watched all the races right. last year after watching it, and now it's like I get it. it. It never made any sense to me, and now I fully like. Oh, I get it. It went to levels that I I had just a new appreciation of of just what goes into to every race week and the the, the difference in politics and and personalities and and. We don't see that as much with Major League Baseball players. And, I mean, everyone – you've got the bros that are doing the podcasts and you've got other podcasts for the smarter guys. And, but there's just, not, there's just not the access that other sports have. And I don't, I don't understand it. I think it obviously comes from the top. But um, I just think there needs to be more wide access to players. And, and I think players of this generation are more accepting of it because they want everything. They, they, they put their – they go take a shit and they put it on Instagram. So they don't care about the, the total access thing. They want people to see them. That's true. Yeah. 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 I agree. All right, Brandon, your final pick. Uh, so this is a late, I was going to have a, there was a story that I remember also dealing with the Royals in 2012, but I'm going to take that one out. Cause it was, it might've just been funny to me and the guys in the dugout, maybe it, it wouldn't translate. So <laughs> I'm going to go to one that's a little bit more widely known. And it's the Al Haboski, uh first Bob Angle. Oh, um, everything confrontation and i i always it's one of those ones that i forget about until i see the video and then it the second i see the video it instantly becomes my favorite thing and i think two days ago i saw the video and 
for anybody that hasn't seen it, it's Auerbach. He's a mad Hungarian. He's on the mound, and he's getting ready to throw the ball back in the umpire. So the umpire just says, screw this, and he just hucks a ball that goes right by Al's head, and Al keeps staring in at the mound. So then Al takes his ball and <laughs> rolls it into home plate. So the umpire just lobs a roll ball away from the mound from Al to go fetch, and Al just sits there and stares at it. This entire showdown is comedy. <laughs> you couldn't have written it, scripted it, done anything better, and it makes me just buckle over with laughter every time I see it. Such a joy. Everything about Al Herboski is a joy. Like, Al Herboski's whole act, I mean, as a player, I, you know, as an announcer, he's whatever. But as a player, like, the whole act where he would stand behind the mound and do the whole wrestling, you know, thing where he's yeah. pounding the mitten, that's hilarious. When he would do that and he would get people out, it was hilarious. When he would do that and somebody would hit like a 500-foot bomb, hilarious. Like everything feeding off of the Al Herboski act to me was very, very funny, I think. It just is. Like I don't I, – everybody always said we need more characters. Like it takes a lot to be a character, I think. Like you have to be committed to it and it's a, a special type of personality. But when there are ones there that can do it and they can do it genuinely and they're likable people, it's really, really enjoyable. Oh, yeah. It's so fun. It's so fun. All right. For my fifth pick, uh, one last Royals one. I, I, I came down to two. One, uh, I, I decided not to use because it's uh, it's not really on the field, but it is well known. I've written about it many times, but it, in 2006, whenever, maybe seven, I can't remember what year Alex Gordon came up, but the year Alex Gordon came up, he, he really, really struggled uh, with the Royals. He was... Uh, he was hitting less than 200 in June and, you know, and, and it was a big deal because he had been the second pick of the draft and was, was widely viewed as the, as the, you know, the guy that was going to be rookie of the year and, and, you know, the guy that was going to sort of save the Royals franchise. And, and then he came in and, and really, really struggled under the pressure. And uh, at one point during his sort of lowest of low moments, uh, Zach Greinke comes over to, to uh, Alex <laughs> And says, hey, man, follow me. I, I got something to show you. And he takes Alex into the the film room. And Alex is really excited because Zach, while being quirky and all of this, he's a baseball savant. I mean, he he totally understands the game on levels that that are that are remarkable. And so he's pretty excited. He's like, this is this this is great. This is a, you know, a guy that wasn't, you know, he hadn't been in the league that long, but a, but a but a, a you know a guy that's going to come here and, and is a veteran and and kind of take me under his wing and show me uh, what I'm doing wrong and he pulls him into the film room and he has queued up the home run that he had hit uh, I'm talking about Grenke had hit in Arizona the home run that he'd hit and he he like played the home run for Alex and then turned to Alex and said you need to do more of that <laughs> so. <laughs> <laughs> that, that feels to me uh that feels to be awesome but it wasn't on the field so the one i am choosing on the field um number five they had a, the royals had a guy again you, you'll probably remember him named desi relliford uh desi played for a couple of different teams um desi relliford had uh somehow gotten to first base i don't even know why or how maybe he singled or walked he's on first base and he took a lead and then the pitcher threw over, and I've never seen anything like this. Again, you almost need to see the video to fully appreciate it. But he 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 comes back into the base, 
And and he's safe. He, it wasn't even a it wasn't even a full throw. It was just you know a, a C move. Throws it over to first. He gets it and puts his his foot on the bag. And then almost as if in slow motion, I, the way I will always remember it is in slow motion. Desi Relliford begins to fall, like like not not like like crumble, but like like tip over. He's just beginning to tip over, and. We're all watching this in horror and he just keeps going and going. And finally he just falls over like a building falling over and the first baseman tags him and he's out. And I've never (laughs) seen anything quite like it uh, ever. I mean, I've seen guys fall off the bag and you know, whatever, but you could just see like the way his thought process had to be going in the middle of that was like, you can still save this, Desi. Because like he's falling, <laughs> but he's like, no, no, you, you're, you're gonna, you're, you're okay, you're okay. And then he just fell. It was, it was <laughs> absolutely priceless, absolutely priceless. So, those are just five of the things that I covered uh, with those mid two thousands Royals. So there you yeah. go. Very exciting. All right. Well, one thing we do here at the end. By the way, I, uh, I, I, I told. The guys, I don't know if I said this on the podcast at the beginning, but I told the guys that we were gonna we're gonna try a little experiment here where we're gonna try to keep this thing uh shorter. We're not because the last two have gone way over two hours. And uh and I said we're gonna try to keep this one shorter, closer to an hour. I'm we're gonna do it. We're gonna do it. We're we're all the way to one last meaningless thing, and and uh I think we're gonna do it. I mean, we're not gonna be at an hour, but we're gonna be closer to an hour than I'm I'm very proud of us. Sports and we draft things we know, like how beaches are terrible places to go. No hot fruit for Michael, no Diet Coke for Joe. The podcast woe. It's one last woe. Peter, we do at the end of these things what we call one last meaningless thing, where we literally just say one meaningless thing that has struck us or 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 had an impact on on our lives. I will begin if you if you want to partake, you certainly can. Um, I'll begin. So um, I am, you know, it's I don't think it's a secret for anybody who knows me. Uh, I am bald essentially. I I I have I have very little hair. Uh, but what I do have, the hair I do have, tends to grow in sort of a weird sideways fashion. So, so I I I try to keep my hair very um, tightly cut. You know, I, I I try to get my hair cut. You know, whatever once every month, three weeks, whatever it is, so that it's that it's tightly cut. Well, of course, under under uh, the isolation we're in, I haven't had a haircut in six weeks or more. And my hair was, was going all over the place. And so my one last meaningless thing is I have my daughter, my oldest daughter, Elizabeth, who was 18. I had her cut my hair yesterday, uh, with the clippers that, uh, that, uh, we ordered for the occasion. And I just want to say that I have been spending whatever amount of money it is, not a tremendous amount of money, but whatever the amount of money it is to go to like sports clips or, or whatever, um, to get my hair cut and my daughter cut my hair and, and we were all making sort of a big joke about it. The fact my daughter was cutting my hair. 
she did exactly the same thing that they do. Literally, my hair looks <laughs> exactly the same as if it had been cut professionally, which tells you, one, that my daughter, you know, could be a savant, like, you know, sort of a, a haircutting prodigy. It's possible. Or two, that I have totally been wasting my money because the way I get my hair cut, all you have to do is just run clippers over it and you're fine. So Is it still considered a haircut if that's all you do, run, run clippers over your head? Probably, well, they, they charge you like it is. Right. I mean, they, you know, that's, that's the thing. And the thing is basically my 18 year old daughter, the first time she's ever cut hair and I looked at my hair when it was done, you know, expecting it to be kind of funny. Nobody's going to see me anyway. And I was like, no, that's how it's supposed to look. That's it. That's you, <laughs> you pretty much, you pretty much got it right. The first try. So, uh, so that is my one last meaningless thing. Brandon, do you have a one last meaningless thing? Yeah, I've got one. I, I, um, we're, we're doing so good with, with clothing fabrics. I mean, just really, I don't think we're talking about it enough, like how good we're doing with it. Like I've, yeah. I've been so comfortable for the last few years where, I mean, my jeans are stretchy now. They have like a little bounce to them. Sure. Shirts like you can now sweat in and it dries right away and somehow cools you and it's lighter. But I, I mean, I've been wearing these like uh, Lululemon pants I've had for about the better part of a decade. I've worn them literally every single day of this shutdown for – no less than 95% of the day. And they're just, they're so good. And I, we you didn't have this 50 years ago. If you had gone through this, like the 1918 flu, you had to you wear, wear suits. suits. You're just, you put on wool every day or your rigid jeans. And we don't have to do that anymore. So in these times where everything does suck, our clothes are really, really doing great. Correct. What a great point. What a great point. We should be so thankful for stretchy, comfortable clothes. I think that's a... I'm trying to think now during like 1918, were they just walking around in like those, were they wearing suits? Like, I guess they weren't really isolating, essentially. They were just dying by the- Yeah, and I think if you were sick, you wore those weird, creepy, like Victorian, like white undergarments and you just like, (laughs) that's just what you were in and uh, those awful things that were probably just horribly uncomfortable to go along with really ugly. My favorite thing (laughs) is to go look back at the beach scenes from the 19- Tens and twenties. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. What are you guys doing? Just, just, just enjoy it. Rip oh. a layer, rip a layer off one time. You know what? You know what hasn't improved though through the years. I mean, I, it's improved, but the one thing that, like, from the nineteen thirties and forties and twenties that they wore that like t shirt with like the string, you know, like the uh-huh. white t shirt, yes. like yes. yeah, that like like that thing is still around. People are. Yeah. I don't know how many people are wearing. I don't have them, but but they're still around. That that. That T-shirt is still going. That T-shirt also has has morphed into a, a tie-dye hoodie with the rope at the front too. If you haven't oh, seen yeah. those around, yeah, yeah, that's so, true. That's very true. Yeah, Peter, do you have one last meaningless thing on your mind? I do. Uh, I, as I said, I was listening to you, your podcast with um, former reliever Sean Doolittle, <laughs> of former, and he was talking about his appearances on leaderboards of his baseball reference pages or you guys were talking about last yes. time. So I thought I'd, I'd grace you guys with what I have actually been listed as appearances, appearances on leaderboards for Peter Moylan games. I've been listed four times, which is effectively the participation trophy <laughs> defensive games played as a pitcher. Same thing. It's, it's you've just repeated the same thing, right? 2016. I made the list for errors committed by a pitcher <laughs> I was ranked sixth. And then 2017, I was the fourth oldest player in the league. 2018, I was the oldest. Thanks yes. very much. Claim yes. the fame. That is on my baseball reference page. 
mentions okay. on leaderboards. That's it. Oldest player. Okay, there are a couple of points I want to make. One is um, you led the league in games played in 2017. I'm sorry. Right. That's again just that's a participation a, trophy. No, that's awesome. Yeah, no, awesome. How many times? I mean, you that wasn't even the most times you were appeared in game. In fact, it wasn't even close. But but man, you they were working you out from you coming in for that dugout. You had to be just in shape just to run in from the dugout that many times. Yeah, but and he, throw my three pitches and get out, get back in there and do it. It's, it's <laughs> I had I had the greatest major league baseball career. It was so <laughs> underwhelming, but it was so good for thirteen years. <laughs> <laughs> but the other thing I I want to point out about this thing is. In 2007, you were seventh in the league with 80 games played, which is impressive, but did not finish top 10 in defensive games as pitcher. I wonder how that happened. That's a great question. You know, like who who came in defensively as a pitcher? Uh, I mean, like, did somebody come in just as a defensive replacement for the pitcher? I don't understand how you could not be in the top 10 in that as well. That seems... Maybe they didn't keep that stat until <laughs> 2000. Twelve. Seriously, what the hell is that? What is that stat? And what is what is any of that? How do those two things not go together? It's one of the things that I'm listed on as appearance on leaderboards. So it is a stat. It's no, there. I know it's Don't a real. It's a real man. thing, but it doesn't. I now I can't make sense of why 2007 you would be up on top. It's just there. <laughs> Maybe I'm on the leaderboard. You're on the leaderboard. There's no. There's no question. Uh, look, you led the league in something. That's what I tell Brandon all the time. Brandon led the league in FIP. I'm sorry. That's just a thing. And no matter what, somebody walks into a bar and says, oh, I led the league in FIP. They're wrong. They did not. Yeah, Unless and, But I'll tell you what, when I walk into a bar and say it, everybody goes, you got to be shitting me. What's FIP? <laughs> That's usually my league when I'm talking to someone. Yeah. What's up, guys? I, I would say if you guys walk into bars and Brandon says, hey, I led the league in FIP, and Peter says, hey, I led the league in games played. They're buying Peter the drinks. Man. Peter, yeah. <laughs> that is likable and he has the accent. He's having an all-night drink while people just look at me and they're like, who cares? Like, is your well, head okay? Everyone's drawn to you and then you do the awkward thing where you just try to move around the room and make sure no one sees you. Even though you're just attention <laughs> on it. I'm just going to do something with it now, buddy. I think, is your head okay is my favorite line uh, that people say. <laughs> Peter, this was awesome. Cannot thank you enough for taking the time to join us here. My pleasure, guys. It has been an absolute blast. Anytime you guys want to do it, I'm here for you. Yes, we will. Well, I, I, hopefully you guys will do a podcast too. We'll, we'll have we'll have you do like double work when you come well, in. I don't know about after this. After this, I don't know. We have to. It's still a lot to sort out, right, Brandon? He's, <laughs> he's already told his whole story. This is done. We just we're <laughs> we're going to consider this. We'll just link people to this. Okay. Be like, there it is. It's done. <laughs> underwhelming done. career. That's good. that could be the name of it. The most Same underwhelming week. career. Every week, same one. <laughs> awesome. Brandon, thank you. Joe, thank you so much.